Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of Open Swim. It is morning at the time of recording. However, we are not in our normal location. You'll probably notice that the audio quality is a slightly different uh, tone as to what you are accustomed to in listening to our podcast. We have taken Shark and Minnow on the road. Uh, We are all working from our brand new satellite offices of the company. Here with you today, you have Hallie Bram Kogelschatz. Brian Andrew Jasinski. Allie Healy. And David Beamer. All right, guys. How's everyone doing this morning? Doing all right. Doing good. Very good. Adjusting to this strange new normal that we all find ourselves in. Such a change from just a week ago, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's very strange because I went back and I listened to our last episode of Open Swim. And it was surprising to me that at that time of recording, you know, there were a lot of things that we saw coming down the hill, so to speak. But if you would have asked me at that time, could I have seen what had happened so quickly in the next few weeks, I would have never been able to see this coming. I think a lot of us are just incomplete. I don't think shock is too extreme of a word as far as how quickly things have gone from relatively normal in the U.S. to today where we wake up to the news that California is is under a shelter in place at the threat of over 50% of their population potentially being susceptible to contracting COVID-19. We are really living in a strange time, certainly. You know, we, at the time of recording, hopefully all of you at home listening are safe and healthy and and your loved ones are safe and healthy, you know, that's really the most important part at the moment. But for business, our last episode was actually titled An Economy in Quarantine. And I think that's really the reality that we're living in right now. You know, there are many businesses that unfortunately, for the time being, have all but shuttered their doors and are trying to keep going. Of those businesses, certainly service industry is most susceptible. And so to our friends out there listening in food and beverage, in retail, we are thinking of you. We are hoping that this will be something that moves behind us as quickly as possible so that people can return to the lives that they knew before this time. So in the meantime, we do see that not all business activity has ceased. And certainly there are businesses that are continuing to do business, maybe not in their normal fashion, although some I was reading this morning, even despite the regulations that have been put in place in California, all California ports remain open. So there is, for whatever can be shipped in, they're deeming port workers, truck drivers, those that help with loading and unloading, they're deeming those essential employees. And so business is continuing to move at a very different pace, but business is still continuing to move. So in the meantime, whether your business is actively a participant in the economy at this moment, or if you're just thinking about ways in which you can be properly communicating as we ramp back up to go back and to the workforce, which again, we don't really know when that will happen, you know, for many workers here in the United States and elsewhere, but it will happen. It's just a matter of time and communication can't cease. We're seeing a lot of different models presented as far as how do you keep that communication going? And I know, David, you've been thinking about PR guidelines and best practices and, and what we're seeing and maybe some things that aren't working so well as well. Would you like to talk to us a little bit about your thoughts there? Absolutely, Hallie. So from a PR perspective, we're answering the question of how we can be sensitive to the people that are hurting in this time and how we can respond to COVID-19. The, the ultimate goal is to manage this crisis and be a guiding beacon, not just a voice among many. Sometimes, you know, we use the terminology to be the pulse, not impulsive. 
And so we've gotten a lot of questions about formulating a response to this crisis and if it's necessary. And there's a lot of research that backs that the not responsiveness and not responding to crisis will actually have an inverse effect. So it's critical that we form a response in a substantial way. So I'll be walking through some tips on how we can do that. When I started doing research on this, I immediately thought back to my strategic communications professor, Dr. Carson Wagner, and he kind of spearheaded the research efforts at my school. And one experiment that I keep thinking of uh, throughout this crisis. For our listeners at home, do you want to talk a little bit about your school and where you went? Just kind of geolocate things? Absolutely. So I went to Ohio University in Athens. For all you Bobcat fans at home, David's one of you. (laughs) That's right. Basically, this measured the emotional response after a crisis and how brands can use emotional words. I'll skip over like the heavy, heavy details, but basically they found that providing an emotional response to a crisis responded better than just a behavioral response. This allows us to kind of infer a couple of different things and provide guidelines So I immediately think of the questions that a response should answer. How am I responsible to our audience? Maybe it's a good or service. The key here is that it's definitely to provide facts. And we shouldn't be afraid to use the facts of a crisis to communicate with our audience. But we need to ensure that the facts are true and we're not spreading fake news. So one way that uh, I find myself doing that is confirming with two separate reputable sources before sharing facts. And the second question that we should be asking is how does my audience feel about the current situation and how can I be responsible with that information and respectful to that sentiment? The third, how can my organization support my audience? And fourth, how can I make a true connection through an emotional side of our brand? Just to recap the four takeaways that we want to look at our responsibility, sentiment, support and connectivity. David, that's really interesting because I definitely feel that in terms of connectivity, that has really been a common thread in all of the communications we've been seeing. I'm sure like everyone, your inbox has been infiltrated with every company that you've engaged with over just the past few years explaining to you how they are reacting to this crisis. And really the constant narrative that I'm noticing is the this, this sense of we're learning this together, we'll be keeping you updated, because like everybody, we don't know what this is day to day. You know, like Hallie said at the beginning of the podcast, had we known, I believe we recorded the last episode just three weeks ago, and we kept saying, we don't know when it's coming. We know that it's coming, we just don't know when. In no way did we ever imagine that just a short three weeks later, here we are in this new reality. So I definitely feel that there is this unity that is coming out through all of the communications, no matter what your industry is, how large or small the company is, if it's an independent individual or if it's a large multi-continental corporation, you're seeing a very similar thread of, of information. It was impossible to predict when this was going to be coming down the curve, but I think that the guidelines that David just put out there pertaining to responsibility, sentiment, support, and connectivity, I mean, this should definitely be a process or a mindset that we employ when thinking about any situation. But obviously, when it comes to crisis communications, this becomes even more important. And I think that the thing that's getting talked a lot 
about right now is connectivity and how do you stay connected in a time of social distancing. And there are a lot of different organizations that I know I personally have received information from that are adjusting their models, both organizations that I'm involved with socially or from a business perspective that are adjusting their models so that they can keep people connected even in a virtual sense. I think there's a lot of concern because it really is something that's affecting everyone, but disproportionately affecting baby boomers and generations above them where they're becoming isolated in their homes. And how do we make sure that those baby boomers don't find themselves in a situation where for the foreseeable future, they're basically sequestered to their home without any sort of communication. And I, I think that it's really, really critical that connectivity piece in communications be something that all brands are thinking about. It's like, what do our customers, our constituents want from us right now? And I think there are some brands out there that are doing a really good job of that. And we'll get to that on the podcast. But certainly a lot of companies out there that provide tools that are traditionally used for business. So whether you're talking about a WhatsApp, which is now owned by Facebook or a Zoom, you know, or even a GoToMeeting, you know, all of these tools are now seeing applications for their platforms far beyond what they initially imagined as far as being tools that connect for business now they're connecting us full stop i think that for those that are at home you know that's really important to take a look at what the institutions that you typically interact with what are they doing to kind of bring that experience online for you and what do you want from them because i think a lot of it for brands is hearing from their audiences and trying to figure out how to meet them where they're at I think it's really a critical time for a two-way conversation between customers and brands and organizations. No request or suggestion, I would say, right now is too small. I think businesses are wanting to hear from their customers because we're all sort of fumbling through this experience together to figure out how do we create content? Yes, but more, you know, this is truly not content for the sake of content. This is this is really a means of bringing a tangible offline life online, at least for, for the next few weeks, although I would wager to say it will be longer. Hallie, I think that's an interesting point. I do think you're right about this is like a perfect time for brands to be meeting their audience and meeting people that I don't think they've ever really engaged with. It's a perfect time for them to be doing that. I think of Zoom, who just announced that they're giving K through 12 students free use of their platform during this time so they can do online schooling. There's a phone service that's giving their users free unlimited data because kids are home from school and parents are home from work and everyone's home now and using all their internet. Phone providers are, are chipping in and bringing people together in ways that they never had to before and they never thought to before. Another example I just read about this morning is Netflix is offering a free group movie viewing experience where you can log in. Unfortunately, there is one person who controls the choices, but you can invite a virtual room of friends and then that way you can all watch the same movie together. You're all connected. You see each other and you can comment and quote unquote be together in that movie experience as if you were together. But keeping that distance. So, you know, I do think it's a great, that's another example of products and businesses quickly reacting, not only to keep at the end of the day themselves and their products accessible to people, but it's also reacting to the state of what's happening and reacting to the emotions. You know, I think that's what's really unique about the situation. It's such an emotional and uncertain time. And the fact that at the end of the day, it, again, it is a business, but there's a very gentle line you have to walk of not feeling like it's capitalizing on the situation or taking advantage of the customers or the consumers. So, and I, I will say, I really feel that the organizations and the companies and what they are doing, there is really some 
thoughtful approaches to how they're offering their evolved services or their evolved products that have been altered in this environment that we're in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's showing that technology providers are being creative and looking for simple solutions to bring us together. That is a comfort to know that there are not start from scratch solutions that are needed, but there are just simple tweaks to the technology or tools that we're kind of like borrowing from one platform and now integrating into another to make experiences much more robust and add that social component to them kind of on a new level. I do think that's exciting. I think that what I'm interested to see is how does that begin to change behaviors and expectations for brands in the future? Because I think what's going to happen is people are going to become accustomed to this way of consuming content, the social way of consuming content. And I am interested to see if that's going to adjust the bar after this crisis is behind us. If nothing else, I think it'll open up some interesting opportunities for creativity and social experiences online. It's interesting to think about it as a rapid fire proving ground for what does the consumer want? Like how social can you make something without turning people off? And what are right ways to use that technology? And what are just kind of baseline applications of that technology? So in some ways, we're going to see some interesting uses and we'll be able to experiment in a short period of time. It's almost like it's a good time for technology providers to use this as sort of like a real-time focus group on products they may be thinking about launching. So if you are out there and you are a technology provider, hey, why not put something into play and see how it fares? And at least that could save you um, some time and effort and dollars and research, maybe, <laughs> by testing it out on the public and seeing how, how people respond to it. I think what's great about that, Hallie, too, is I, I think the key difference here is the difference between capitalizing and an opportunity. And I, what you speak to is, is the latter. It's an opportunity. I mean, if you think about it, the testing ground of literally the global population all in, in the same situation at the same time, I, I mean, that's unprecedented. And the fact that everybody is going through these same reactions and affected by this single thing. I mean, I honestly can't think of anything else like this, where we, there is really an opportunity there. It, it almost reminds me too, I, I'm sure everybody has been seeing the stories, like when else would we have had the opportunity where people are quarantined, businesses and basically emissions from vehicles and factories have been stopped on a dime. And we're all beginning now to read how quickly, just in these few months, the earth is correcting itself. I'm sure you've seen the photos of the canals in the rivers in Italy that are suddenly crystal clear and you could see fish and, and seaweed to the bottom where just weeks ago you couldn't. Suddenly, when that traffic has stopped, the reaction that these natural resources are having are incredible. But 25% drop in, in China's carbon dioxide emissions just from four weeks beginning in late January compared to last year. 25%. Christopher Jones is a developer of what's called the Cool Climate Network. And it's a consortium through the University of California. And Hallie, this what you said earlier about can we ever go back in terms of the way that technology is consumed or presented, I feel the same way that this quote can apply to that. He said, if we can think about how to prepare for climate change like a pandemic, maybe there will be a positive outcome to all of this. We can help provide crises in the future if we are prepared. I think there are some big picture lessons here that could be very useful. And I think that applies to many things, even beyond the preparation of the pandemic. It's the way that we're thinking, it's the way that we're processing, and it's the way that we're consuming information, technology, and messaging as a whole. 
I feel in this world that we've been talking about over and over how divisive it's become. How strange and oddly poetic is it that it took something like this to bring us back to this place of humanity? Absolutely. That's what we're seeing rising from this. And, and I'm hoping that it's something that does continue as we begin to emerge from and, and learn more about how we are going to come to the other side of this situation. Absolutely. We shouldn't depart too far from this point about climate change before we talk about this a little bit. I've been really thinking about this a lot the last few days. You know, obviously, this is a topic that I'm really passionate about. And I feel like it's a good time for people to be examining their behaviors because, hey, we all have more time. I see a lot of people on social media saying, oh, I'm cleaning out my house or I'm straightening up. I'm doing this thing. I'm getting involved in a new project. Well, maybe one of those new projects might be thinking a little bit about how you're going to take what you learn during this time and reduce your impact on the earth. I think there's a lot of things that can be done very easily without too much adjustment, but it just takes a little bit of time of getting set up. And so while you have the time, think about how can you reduce plastic in your kitchen? Have you thought about, I know this is a big ask for some people, but have you thought about composting? Have you thought about planting a garden? Something small. I know there are a lot of people right now that are not working and they have children to take care of because the schools are closed. It's a really good time to be thinking about what kinds of activities can you be doing, but also what kinds of activities can you be doing together with those children that also model behaviors that are hopefully things that we can adopt as a best practice for our world. Again, greening your life is something that while you have the time, there's my little PSA. I think it's time that everybody (laughs) make that a part of what they accomplish during this quarantine if possible. But I know that that's obviously a luxury. And there are a lot of people out there that are thinking, okay, that's great. But I'm most concerned about like, how do I pay my rent next month? And that obviously, that's not as easy of a fix. Early in my career, I experienced a layoff. It's hard. It's hard. You're you're trying to obviously look for work. You're trying to think about what comes next. But I also think it's so important to balance your days with something that takes care of your mindset. You can't spend all day, every day thinking about negative things. It will put you in a place that's not very productive or or good for you. So I think if you can incorporate things that allow you to work with your hands, allow you to do something productive, it'll make you much more resilient in weathering the situation for as long as it may last, which again, we just don't know at this point. And I think what you were speaking of is taking this time to reassess how perhaps your impact on the earth. Everybody has been seeing, you know, there's a slew of countless memes and tweets and things that are being shared on social media that speak to various things amidst the situation that we're in. I saw one, you know, and again, though lighthearted, it really gave me pause. And it speaks to what you just said, Hallie. It said, perhaps the earth is telling us all to go to our rooms and think about what we've done. That to me, though initially it's funny, it's so true. It's almost like this time out for, again, the globe. And it's like, okay, we need to rethink what's happening. And speaking to what we just said about, about in this very short time span, how quickly things are already changing. It really gives you pause. And it's it's just so striking. And I, I think that's the gift that we're getting out of this is there's a little bit more time to think about your impact. Think about how you approach your day to day. And that is what I'm hoping will continue again when we are on the other side, that we don't just simply go, okay, it's done now. I mean, there's no way that we can. A friend of mine was saying, it sounds dramatic, but it's very true. You think of generations before us, the greatest generation, they would talk about life before World War II and after, the baby boomer generation, before Vietnam and after. And I've truly believe that this is the defining moment of we will now look at our lives as before corona and post corona 
Because there's no way that you can go back to that same thinking when this has really been a moment of this is real. What this situation is doing is giving everybody pause to really think through what it is that they can do to make a difference and, and not go back to things that they've been perhaps wanting to work on. And now you have the, the moment to do so. The other piece of that is it's not just for some esoteric reason, because I understand as much as I would like to believe that everybody is really like having these deep moments of self-reflection while they have the time to do it. I know that that's not the reality. They may not be there for a multitude of reasons, but here's the reality. I think that there are a lot of decisions that people have to make in times of recession, in times of depression, in times of wartime that are not made out of made out of some want to change the world. They're made out of necessity. And so I do think that at this point, there are going to be a lot of people out there that are going to have to make tough choices. But those tough choices may have the ability to also create a future that is more positive. For example, I hate to talk about negative things, but there may be people out there that realize, okay, we can't really make two car payments and we're going to go down to one car. Well, maybe that means that one of them starts taking public transportation in the future. And maybe this is something that leads to a movement that actually changes the way that we interact with places and kind of leverage point A to point B. And so there are potential positive outcomes that come out of every situation. And I think at Shark Minnow, we're always looking for opportunities. We're always looking for like, how can this be something that when we emerge from this, and we all start to heal, what are the potential outcomes, positive, negative, and otherwise? Again, when we start to think about implications, those are some of the things that certainly are possibilities if people want them or if people need them. We're very lucky in the area we all live in, in Northeast Ohio, that we have a pretty robust public transportation system. There are opportunities for people to certainly take advantage of things like that, the infrastructure. Obviously, not every place in the country is able to do that. But situations like that, okay, so what else can people do to potentially improve their bottom line out of necessity and also impact a brighter future for everybody? I guess all of that remains to be seen as people start to adjust. But these are all things that, again, we're thinking about. One thing I think is really interesting and something I've been trying to pay more attention to is how brands like Netflix and brands that are traditionally maybe more isolating or maybe not something you would do as a group are kind of finding ways to bring people together in this time. And this kind of goes with what we were just talking about in that we're all trying to find a positive outcome from this situation. We're trying to find the positives that can come out of this situation. And I hope one of those things, and that's why I'm, I'm kind of looking toward brands that are finding ways to engage the community. I'm hoping that one of those positives is brands and businesses and companies are starting to think of the people that are using them first. And that's something I'm seeing a lot more. And I think something that we're all seeing is we're kind of being forced to think about the people in our communities first. And it's been good to see communities like cities and big brands that that are normally thinking about the bottom line first. And I'm sure there's still a bit of that going on, but it's been good to see people thinking about others. That's something that's really important. Brands and companies are finding new ways to connect to people. It's kind of silly, but the World Health Organization <laughs> got a TikTok because they're trying to connect with the community and get information across and meet people where they are. Something that's so important is find your audience, find where they are, and then be there and give them the, the information they need and building that connection with them on that platform. Museums are 
doing virtual gallery showings and operas are streaming, concerts live on social. What we're seeing happening is cultural experiences are being made more available to the community in a time of uncertainty and isolation. And it can be easy to feel alone and isolated and sad a little bit, but I feel like we're really lucky that we have tools like social media and Zoom calls and GoToMeeting and FaceTime and all of these things that make it really easy for both brands and cultural experiences and movies and our friends even and loved ones to kind of feel like we're still connected to them at the tip of our fingers. Right. Ali, there is, you had shared, there's local services through cities here in Cleveland where we live that are making sure that they are doing everything they can to speak to those smaller businesses that are, as we said earlier, affected in particular retail as well as the hospitality industry, where a lot of them may not emerge on the other side of this because it is such a detrimental situation, the fact that they are not open, just even despite the fact they're able to offer takeout that is such a hit to their daily business and their daily bottom line. I, I have been already seeing commercials for much larger brands, automobile brands in particular, that their ads are being put out there. And so they're continuing advertising, but the message is no longer about the features of the vehicle. It's more about we're here for you. Here we are in just a week, we're already seeing a shift in that messaging. So that, that's definitely something that I think is happening. This may be a little bit of a controversial statement, but I, I honestly feel like in this age of social media, there is the infamous quote unquote influencer. A lot of times the influencers can be viewed as very self-serving and very self-absorbed. And I feel in this environment that we're suddenly in, when you still see that continuing it, it's even more laughable. There is this awakening that I'm seeing on social media where that's not seen as important anymore. The number of likes you're getting, that product that you're plugging, that event that you're plugging, it's clear the clutter and it'll be very telling. I feel like I keep saying when we're on this other side, because again, we don't know how long this will be. What environment will that even be able to exist in? Will there still be a legitimacy to that approach to the way products are presented, supported or promoted through these influencers? So there's just so many pages in our day-to-day that we've known up till now that I feel are forever altered. And I think the rules and the way things are thought about are going to be completely different. And everybody's going to find themselves in a very different environment. And for what we do day-to-day at Shark and Minnow as advocates for our clients, I think what we have been doing diligently for our clients is make sure that their message is told and that their brand equity remains as well as their values, making sure that the values of of their company and their organizations are communicated because they're figuring out the environment as they go along too. And so that's what I've really loved about in the past few weeks of working with our clients and, and collaborating with them on what is the messaging? What is the new approach? You know, how do we shift gears? Is, is that thoughtfulness? And, and again, call me, call me an optimist, but I'm hoping that this tonality that we're finding ourselves in is going to continue. And that those less less than ideal things that social media has breeded over the past few years become less relevant. Brian, I couldn't agree with you more. One of the things that we've been talking a lot about at Shark and Minnow is how can we be most valuable to clients in helping them play the long game? Because this is truly the time for the long game. I think for a lot of businesses, they realize that now is not the time to sell. Now is not the time 
to be pushing a product. I'm seeing a lot of emails in my inbox from retailers that are completely tone deaf or the alternate, which is they're just slashing prices. I got an email this morning, slashing prices 25%, slashing prices 50%. It's scary as a consumer to see that. It's scary as a retailer to have to do that. For us, that's why we always say that we have a consultative practice. That's what we do with every client that we work with. That is the most important piece of what we can do for them is not just produce the tactics that we're contracted to produce, but also be thinking about when markets shift. And that can be minor shifts, which is why we're always keeping our fingers on the pulse of how markets are changing. Or it can be major shifts like this, which nobody can fully predict, although we saw some things that were making us concerned, obviously, as soon as the last few months. We had been reading trades saying that there could be a recession in 2020 anyhow. And so I think that we've been having conversations like these with clients for a very long time and keeping them as prepared as we can. And then thinking about in times like this, when there's a major right turn, how can you be laying the groundwork for when we pull out of this situation. And I don't want to promise anyone that when we pull out of the situation, we're going back to quote unquote business as usual, because I don't think that's the case either. I mean, pulling out of this situation is going to look very different. You're going to have a lot of people out of work. You could have an unemployment rate that rivals what happened in 2008, 2009. And what is that going to mean? What does the recovery period look like? How can you adapt your business or organization to be able to meet customers, meet users where they're at? How can you serve them? How can you become more of an asset to them? And how can you create new revenue streams? I think that's a big thing it is maybe what you are selling right now needs to adjust or be packaged in a different way to be able to be competitive in the next six to 12 months. And so these are all the conversations that we've been having with clients and we have reached out to all of our clients um, to make sure that they know that we are here for things like virtual brainstorming and virtual whiteboard sessions and all of that. That consultative piece is a really important piece of what we're doing to, to be there for them and to not just be there for them in an emotional sense, but make sure that they can come out of this and emerge from this process stronger than ever. And to the best of our ability, we're supporting those efforts. It is a very uncertain time, but there's also a lot that can be done to play that long game, to use this as a time for planning, to use this as a time also, you know, we've talked to a lot of clients about what tactically should be done during this time. And a big thing for us is check off those boxes of those projects that have been on the back burner. It's a good time for clients to be taking advantage of their agencies while agencies are a bit slower as certain projects have been put on hold and get those things done. I do think that's something that clients could be taking advantage of with their vendor partners. What can we do to make sure that when we come out of this, we're actually ahead of the curve. We've actually accomplished things that we thought we wouldn't be able to accomplish until next year. And so I do think that looking at this where you can as a business, as an opportunity to get ahead, will certainly help you in the future to be more productive when we, when we kind of find ourselves on level ground. So Brian, how are you seeing designers and illustrators reacting to this time of quarantine? It's really created a spark of sharing a spark of this community of illustrators, this community of designers through social media, sharing 
what are often quote-unquote lighthearted approaches to what's happened. In no way diminishing the severity of coronavirus, but they're really more speaking to the, the strangeness and the awkwardness of quarantine and working from home and suddenly working with your family and, and children, homeschooling your children. So I think what's really been prevalent to me is this observation of what everybody's thinking, what everybody's experiencing. Design has always been more than creating compelling design or beautiful objects. And it's very important to us at Shark of Minnow, we embrace design thinking and we encapsulate those values of empathy, brainstorming, and, and testing when we are solving practical problems for a client, be it through a website, through a identity suite, through a promotional brochure. And what we're doing when we're creating these pieces for our clients is we're creating visuals that present information. So what I what I love that I'm seeing with illustrators and designers and how they're sharing their artwork. And not only is it humorous, but it's also political. I've always said I think some of the most incredible artists are political cartoonists because in that quick one frame, usually very simple illustration, it's something that often gets to your soul or it punches you in the gut or wakes you up. And that's what I'm seeing. They're creating these visuals that are changing. They change a the mindset. They present this, this universal message of actions that are uniting us. Even in this very divided time, they can even educate. They're educating us on a global level, be it through their use of illustration, presenting facts. What if it's about the environment? What changes is this making on the environment? What are the stats that are out there? What are the most current actions one can take? So there's, there's different pockets that I'm seeing. There's that humor. There's that reflectiveness. There's that thoughtfulness. And there's that sharing of information. And there's a really interesting rise in, in, in this communication. I'm sure everybody has seen the... It's what's created by artist Juan Del Con and Valentina Izaguer. And it's the whole idea of the safety matches and how by isolating yourself, how you stop the spread of the fire. It's like a political cartoon. It's that simple, striking image that gets you. And it really, it wakes you up and shakes you up. My friend Rob Wilson in New York City, he's been doing this incredible series of what it's like to work in isolation in these days that we find ourselves in and how New Yorkers are reacting to it and continuing that quote unquote New York lifestyle within these new restraints. There's also been public art installations that I'm seeing. There's a designer based in Shanghai and Los Angeles. His name is Duyi Han, and he created this beautiful mural, and it's called The Saints Wear White. And it's actually set inside of a historic chapel in the Hubei province of China. And it almost likens itself to these beautiful murals that you would see in any religious setting. But all of the quote-unquote saints and angels that you're seeing are coronavirus medical workers. They're depicted wearing these white decontamination suits, the green face masks, these images that we're seeing over and over. And it speaks to the idea of these are the people on the front line, 1,700 healthcare workers that have lost their lives in fighting this virus and treating those who have the virus. There's that range of emotions, that, that those range of reactions that I'm seeing illustrators and designers and artists coming out there. Personally, I'm really intrigued by this Japanese legend that, you know, anybody who's out there who's, you know, into mythology, and I think this, this will uh, be something you'll find really interesting. There's a, a Japanese legend dating back to the 1800s that's been actually resurfacing across social media because of 
its tie to staving off epidemics. So in Japanese folklore, there is what's called the yokai, and they are a class of supernatural monsters, spirits, demons. And one of them is called the amabi. And it's a legendary Japanese mermaid or merman. It has three legs and it emerges from the sea and it prophesizes either an abundant harvest or an epidemic. So the fact that all of these illustrators are creating modern day versions of the Amabi and through the mythical tale that states that this creature emerges from the sea to tell the prophecies of these harvests or the potential destruction from disease Here we are in an epidemic. And the legend states that the people are supposed to draw the Amabi and share it with everybody who's ill. So through that creation of that illustration and that depiction of your vision of this folklore and of this creature, you are giving them healing. So on many levels, we're coming back to that idea of community and sharing and in some way doing what you can do to bring a lift to people in this time. So I think it's fascinating. So here we are like going way back to a process or a story from the 1800s. And here we are in this digital age. And that's what we've gone back to sharing. Earlier in the conversation, we spoke to organizations and how they're stepping up to help the greater good. And this episode, My Bigger Boat, goes to companies like LVMH. They are the company that produce fragrances, notably for Christian Dior, who have used their factories and their access to purified water, ethanol, and glycerin, which are those three main ingredients that are needed to make hand sanitizer, as well as distilleries across the country that are using the high-proof alcohol they use in their products to also make hand sanitizer. What these remind me of is past generations where corporations, factories, organizations would offer their resources for not only for themselves, but for the greater good. And for that, they get my bigger boat this episode. This episode, my bigger boat goes to all employees working at places like grocery stores. In times like this, it's really good to be able to go out and get things you need when you don't think you'll need them, like food and toilet paper and tissues. So I'm really appreciative, and I'm sure we all are, of people who are still going to work at grocery stores every day, who are still stocking up on essentials, and I hope they are also staying safe and healthy. This episode, My Bigger Boat, goes to The Atlantic for their new podcast, Social Distance. As we talked about earlier, the novel coronavirus has brought upon an onslaught of information and misinformation. So to help combat this social distance through Dr. James Hamblin talks with his friends and colleagues and answers simple questions like, can I go to the grocery store? How likely am I to get the virus? And when might this be over? And shares practical advice and actionable steps for your average citizen. This week, My Bigger Boat goes out to all of those that find themselves out of work. Again, I shared on this podcast that I've been laid off before. I know what it feels like. I know the hopelessness that can come with it. I definitely understand what 
you guys are going through. And I just want to say, hang in there. This too shall pass. I think the best thing that you can be doing is to, as much as possible, take advantage of time. Time is something that we often don't have. How many of us walk around when we're asked how we're doing, say, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. This is a time to really do those things that that you want to do within reason, <laughs> within distance, but really take advantage of that time and, and take care of yourselves. We're thinking of you and we can't wait to put this all behind us and start spending our money at all those retailers and, and stores and, and, and places that employ so many of you that find themselves out of work. So take care and we'll be there with you. This episode of Open Swim is in support of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. This week, the Greater Cleveland Food Bank held their very first drive-through pantry. And at one point in time, they were saying that over 500 cars had come through the line. And I think that just demonstrates how critical of a resource the Greater Cleveland Food Bank and other food banks across our country are at this time. And we just want to commend them on their efforts and also encourage all of you, if you have the means, if you have the ability to support organizations like this, there are ways to start a virtual food drive if you go to their website. And just for those of you who can, finding ways to virtually volunteer if you have the means to donate. This is a really good time to make your donations felt and make that impact at a time that it is truly needed. So if you'd like to learn more, you can visit greatercleaflandfoodbank.org. Open Swim is brought to you by Shark and Minnow on the web at sharkandminnow.com. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we are at Shark and Minnow. Technical support and audio production by Eugene Mueller. HR oversight by Marcia Ciccone. Fashion policing by Felicia Winfrey.